The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. going to start this week's show by dropping a little grenade into the comment section. Uh, if you have felt angst over the last month while watching NFL football, uh, if you had this constant background uh, feeling of dread, of, oh my God, they can't keep getting away with it. And then they kept getting away with it every single week. You're correct. Because the Kansas City Chiefs, statistically speaking, just completed the luckiest playoff run in the last six years. Statistically speaking, since 2018, if we're talking about net win probability added, which I know this sounds like the nerdiest shit you've ever heard of in your life. <laughs> oh, I but, can top it. You know, every every time there's like a big play that happens, okay, like a huge drop pass, a missed field goal, a fumble on the goal line, looking at you, Ravens, um, any anything like that will always have a big swing in in win probability and the chiefs had the largest net win probability added during this playoff run out of any team since 2018 76.4% win probability total the biggest swings obviously miss field goal against buffalo the big drop uh you know late in the game from buffalo you had uh the the zay flowers fumble you had the the completely random I don't want to call it a muffed punt a deflected punt that then resulted in a muffed punt in the Super Bowl (laughs) everything that could have went right for KC went right but my point being or my point is I should say the reason why we took KC and we picked KC to win is because every team gets the benefit of those types of plays at some point but nobody pays them off better than Kansas City. It's not that Buffalo didn't have, you know, stuff go their way as well, or or the Ravens, and even the Niners, like, had some some pretty key play. A trick play from Juwan Jennings to CMC that went their way. Like, they had their own big swings. But nobody circles the wagons and absolutely punishes you for a mistake better than Kansas City, which is why those big plays tend to favor them more it's because you know you have no margin for error against them and when you do mess up they are going to bury you so my whole point with this opening diatribe it's not that they didn't deserve to win the Super Bowl 
They absolutely did deserve to win the Super Bowl. The reason why they deserve to win the Super Bowl is because going into January, everybody knew you have to play clean against Kansas City, and nobody did, and they punished everybody. So as far as I'm concerned, it's everybody else's fault that the Chiefs won, okay? <laughs> like, you know what the assignment is. Don't fuck up. Y'all fucked up. You gave that man as many opportunities as he got, and you know he's going to win when he gets those opportunities. So congrats to KC. You completed, I don't want to say an improbable run. I would say a very probable run because we kind of <laughs> knew that was going to happen. We did, and I can out-nerd you because you have football nerddom and I have Marvel nerddom, and I, I posted a thing. <laughs> That said, Mahomes is inevitable right after the Super Bowl, which was, you know, the Thanos clip. And then I posted a thing that said, hey, if we're really going to go down a Marvel rabbit hole, he's not Thanos. He's Longshot, who is a little known hero in the Marvel Universe who bends probability fields to his will. He basically has imbued good luck. And that is what Kansas City has, because whenever they get those chances and they do, they wait for you to make a mistake. And they don't at the same time. They don't make their own mistake. They wait for you to make one. And then they push the ball forward just a little bit. And then they sort of reset. And they wait for you to make another mistake. They don't make one. You know, Patrick Mahomes has gotten very, very good at that. He doesn't make the play that's going to kill them. And he is in lockstep. I had a conversation with a radio host about this yesterday, that the mind meld between Reed and Mahomes is now completely aligned in terms of how they want to play as a team, what they need to accomplish, what they cannot afford, and when to take those chances. And they play like that right until the end, and then Pat is Pat. And then mm -hmm. they let Pat off the leash and he goes and does Pat stuff. And like you said, it seems improbable, but it is also entirely predictable the message you sent me right after the Super Bowl ended this was inevitable it's the same reason that we said hey look San Francisco profiles as a better team we're picking Casey <laughs> like because this is what they do they grind teams up in this very particular way and then they let Pat off the chain in the last couple of minutes and he wins the game for them and it is wildly predictable it is very probable at this point you can't look at Mahomes's career and his accomplishments at this point in a year been in the league six years, been to basically the final game pretty much every time. And it is not weird. <laughs> it is not unlikely. It is not anything at this point except what is going to happen. And as we sort of turn the page and say, okay, now that we're getting into draft season, how do teams prepare to assault this particular fortress that is the Chiefs? It is not a fun proposition. Because you have that mind meld between Mahomes and Reed, and then you have Spagnuolo on the other side, who is going to give you absolutely no ground, whose defense played out of its mind for the entire season, unlike the offense, really gave Kansas City the chance to be there at the end of the year. Like That is not a triumvirate that I particularly want to try and crack as an opposing coach, because it looks formidable right now. I know they didn't win MVP, but I do want to give flowers to both McDuffie and Sneed but especially McDuffie and Jones like those three and Jones like they they kept them in it like 100%. the reason why the 49ers weren't running away early and and why Pat even had a chance to do Pat things is because of that trio right McDuffie played out of his mind against Debo 
Um, you know, Snead and Ayuk kind of went back and forth for the most part, but Ayuk was much less effective than we're used to seeing because, again, Legarius is Legarius, and we highlighted that matchup in the preview of, like, whoever wins that matchup, that team's probably going to win the game. And then, again, even though Jones didn't have, like, statistically a monster day, as far as pressures and impact go, like, when the secondary did get beat, Jones was usually getting home and forcing rough throws that that didn't get paid off so it it was a very defense oriented Chiefs team this year to be diplomatic about the phrasing and that defense is ultimately why they won Um, before we before we kind of get into the show also by the way hello welcome to bootleg we never actually we did a full intro (laughs) today we're like kind of doing like a little light recap of the Super Bowl because I'm sure you've heard a lot of these points already and then we're going to kind of get into draft season Uh, But before we get into all the draft stuff, I want to ask your thoughts on kind of the main thing that a lot of people are talking about after that game, which is, was Kyle Shanahan correct to take the ball first in overtime thinking, oh, we want, we want the ball third. Like that, that was kind of what, what their motivation was of, we think we're going to score and then we think they're probably going to score and then we want to be able to score again. Do you agree with that approach? A lot of people have asked me about this. I got asked about this yesterday on a podcast. And uh, my answer is I don't care because I think the same coaching points are true, right? A, first things first, you need to know what the rules are before they get laid out by the ref to start overtime. I don't care what level you're coaching at. If you're a coach, you need to know what rules are going to be applied to the game you're playing. That's super basic because if you don't know that you can't make the proper decision so the the sort of buzz coming out of san francisco that a bunch of people were surprised that that was oh yeah it's the new overtime rules like sorry you need to know that like in terms of prep that is a little thing that's a big thing you need to know that so that's just we'll start there that's the basis after that as a coach in a game situation one of your biggest jobs whether it's overtime or not, is knowing which piece of your team is playing in what manner. Like, which unit is on top of it? Which unit do I want out there? Which unit do I think is winning? Which unit do I think is getting its ass handed to it? Like, you still need to have your finger on that pulse as a coach. That is your job. That is not the coordinator's job. It's not the guy in the booth's job. Like, you need to have a very good sense of that. And then make your decision based on the rules and how your team is playing. I think that's the much bigger point of that is saying, okay, look, with the new rules, it's going to go this way and this way and this way. We either want to have our best foot forward, like we want to try and, you know, stump them on the opening possession, or we're pretty sure no matter what we do, you know, their offense versus our defense is going to work out a certain way. They're going to get points. That's what we're expecting. Okay. Great. Now we'll make a decision based off of that. So you need to know the rules and you got to have your finger on that pulse and then you make that choice. So I don't think the change is as big as people are making it out to be in terms of like a tactical coaching error. Um, You know, it didn't work out, but come on. We just said why? (laughs) Like as soon as they kicked the field goal, did anyone who's watched Patrick Mahomes over the last five years go, oh, I don't know. I think they put him under pressure. Like, no, as soon as they kicked the field goal, (laughs) as soon as they kicked the field goal, most of us who've been watching the game closely with Patrick playing at the level he's been playing this year and others said, that's it. 
it's over. Like that ball game. Like that's it. It's done. Uh, and it my was. main thought, my main thought about it was, and you mentioned, hey, it's the coach's job to know how your units are playing. It's also the coach's job, coach's job to know who you're playing against. True. And this whole "we want the ball last" thing doesn't hold water to me because even if the Niners scored a touchdown on their opening drive, they still weren't going to get the ball third. And and Patrick even said so as much, like or said as much when when he was at Disneyland doing the doing the interview um, after the game. He's like, "Look, we were going to go for two and end it right there. Like we were not going to just let the Niners walk back on the field, right?" And that was my thought the night of the game because there was kind of like a, a debate amongst like analytics Twitter of like, again, we're talking about win probability and everything like that. And they were like, well, I could see the argument for wanting it third. And for me, I'm like, I don't care if if we <laughs> give the ball to Patrick first and then we go down and score and like we don't want him to have the ball third. Like that, that doesn't even matter to me. Because if we take the ball second, we guarantee, for better or for worse, that we're getting the ball last. And if it ends on us fucking up a two-point conversion, fine, I can live with that. I can't live with kicking off to him after both of us score a touchdown and we take an extra point and then we and then he just needs a field goal. Like, I can't live with that anyway. So like I'm still taking the ball second, even if he could potentially quote unquote get it third because he's not going to get it third. I'm going for two anyway. And that's what the Chiefs were thinking. That's what I was thinking. I don't know why Kyle wasn't thinking that cuz worst case scenario, okay, if the if the Chiefs score 7, we can go score 8 and just end it. You know, and if we only get 6, we only get 6, but like I was, <laughs> was going to not... say, but can you? That's the thing is a lot of this I think is it's a cool theoretical debate, but in practicality, were the Niners going to go score 8 against Spags at that moment? And the answer is I would have no. I would have rather put my money on I understand on them but... doing that than us stopping Patrick Mahomes right. when he needs to score like but would historically but would you has that ever worked it? out? Like that's the piece that I think people are getting to is like, would you put money on the Niners scoring eight against Spags right there in any situation, first, third, otherwise? No, I mean, I, I, with I, the way they were I'll, playing, I doubt it. I'll, I'll tell you this: when the Chiefs were down ten, I live bet the money line because <laughs> I, I, I knew it was over. <laughs> I knew it was over. I was like, if it's if it's only ten. Like, yeah, Chiefs are going to win. If it's like 17, if it was like the Tampa game, I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. They're probably going to win. I was like, 10 points? Nah. They got that. It was like the second quarter, and I was like, yeah, nah. eh, Chiefs won. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you either end them early or that's it. Like, I, I, I had zero doubt, you know, to quote Nick Wright, never a doubt that they were going to win that game. And it, honestly, as soon as it went to overtime, I was like, so, uh, do I have time to shoot another video tonight? Like, I, I, I was already making plans for after the game. I, I knew it was going to happen. I, you know, and it's hard not to because, again, there are a lot of stats out there. We could throw them at you. It's fairly easy to find them. Head out to head out to Twitter. Head out to whatever social media you're on. There's there's a lot of stats about how quote unquote improbable um, 
just sort of remarkable the KC run has been not only this year through the playoffs like it was remarkable this year more remarkable than previous years but like you look at it and this was everybody's best shot right the offense was not great for most of the season yes playoff chiefs completely different thing but you know they didn't have a dominant receiver Rishi Rice got good at the end of the year Travis Kelsey rounded back into form like you know, but largely the Niners defense, I'll give a lot of credit to Steve Wilkes, handled them. And quite frankly, the the best player, the biggest play for Casey's offense was a punt, like a muffed punt, right? That's not sort of in control. They did their job. Kelsey, under 100 yards and no touchdowns in, a, in an end of season, you know, playoff game. Great job. You know, Pacheco basically slammed 3.3 yards a carry, not not super factor. Great job. You did exactly what we laid out in the preview. Stop Kelsey. Stop Pacheco. Didn't give up big plays for the most part. Let Patrick get outside and kill you. Like you kept them largely under three touchdowns. Like mm-hmm. that's a tremendous achievement against Reed and Mahomes. You did a good job. Now, did you win it? No, because you just don't against the Chiefs because Spags is on the other side doing the same thing to your offense and then Patrick. And that's just what it is. So at the Chiefs have all the draft picks. <laughs> I hate to tell everybody, like, there's a good likelihood uh, that their front office is going to do what they've done, have another good draft class, and they're going to be better next year. This was your best yeah. chance to knock them off the pedestal, and you didn't. So good luck. Like, that's all I got. This might be the worst Chiefs team in the Mahomes era, and they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So. And the year before he was limping and the year before, like, it just doesn't matter. They find a way. They're extremely adaptable or versatile. They are extremely well coached on both sides of the ball. And if all that didn't matter enough, they got Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. God help us if they get A.D. Mitchell. I, <laughs> you know, the answer all. is right now we were like when even when they drafted Rasheed Rice, both of us, and we've talked openly about this. We didn't think Rasheed Rice was all that. We thought he was good. We didn't think he was great. He got a lot better in season. He And you see that. That is another sign of great coaching, not only at the coordinator level, but at the position level. We said the same thing about Nick Bolton. We thought Nick Bolton had strengths, but we also thought he had a lot of weaknesses in, in pass coverage. Nick Bolton has morphed into a very complete linebacker who plays the lights out. That young secondary last year, McDuffie, all the, you know, all the picks they put in the secondary last year, they were playing very well by the end of last year, right? And we said, man, they're they're all going to have another year worth of experience. They're all super young. They're already gelled. Like, and McDuffie came out and played the lights out. They, again, they develop. They draft and develop. So I don't really care who they draft. It's a deep receiver class. What are the chances they're not going to be super good? I mean, Sky Moore was... I would say painfully average compared to what we expected him to be. And that's generous. And they still won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So give them a higher draft pick at receiver and like, okay. (laughs) I was going to say, they'll they'll, they'll probably spend 32 on a receiver just because they can in this class. Because they can. Being great because they can. That does bring us to a pretty smooth transition into draft season, by the way. The meat of this episode after the first 15, 20 minutes talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, draft season is going to be interesting this year because it's another very deep class. 
that has a lot of older players coming out because there's still kind of like that that extra wave of guys from you know the COVID year early on. Like we're still kind of in in that era of draft of draft season, right? Where where you're gonna have like fifth and sixth year guys coming out, and so it's a very deep class, lots and lots of talent. And so today we're talking about the early winners in this draft class through, uh, you know, the, the first phase of draft season, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's all-star week, you know, combine prep and, and all-star week in particular, or really all-star month, you know, between hula bowl, shrine bowl, uh, senior bowl. That's one of the few times where the board can get pretty significantly reshuffled because how guys do in one-on-ones, you know, how they prove themselves against say top competition levels. You look at Christian Boyd from you and I, who went out there and absolutely dominated Shrine Bowl, um, Quinya Mitchell, Toledo, uh, Leatu Latu kind of, I don't want to say answering the medical concerns by how much he dominated one-on-ones, but answering medical concerns by reminding people how freaking good he is and people, you know, and, you know, maybe making teams consider like, okay, maybe the medical isn't a super clean sheet, but God, he's a really good player. Um, you know, all-star events can be so crucial for, for guys kind of planting their flag for how good they are. Right. Not to mention how well, again, they do in interviews and then, you know, at combine, how well they do with medical checks, like this time of year, the board can get pretty crazy, right. In terms of movement. It's fluid. And I want to make a point about the board because we talk about this every year and you know, the sort of refrain is, Hey, they haven't played any more games. What happened? Teams' grades on players don't change. They're set. They're influenced by things like measurements, but they already largely have those. Medicals, which, again, we'll see at Indy in the Combine. That is a big one. And certainly interviews. But the piece of fluidity or change that happens during All-Star season isn't the team changing their grade based on how they perform in the All-Star game. It's changing their mindset about what they're going to have to spend to get that player. And I'll just Mm -hmm. use one example, like Jackson Powers Johnson, the center who's a junior from Oregon. They're probably a team that had a great grade on him, and they're like, man, we're going to be able to take him in the back of the second round, maybe the top of the third if we're lucky. Goes to the Senior Bowl, blows up. We'll talk about him. Now they're like, well, if we want him, we got to use our you know pick 30 on him because by the time pick, 60 comes around. I, I think even well, more I than understand. that, honestly. Well, like, <laughs> we have to use our first round pick, whatever our first round pick is, because by the time we get to our pick in the second round, he's going to be gone. It's not that he got better as a player or our opinion of him as a player got a lot higher. It's that other teams are now going to be jockeying for him and we're going to have to spend a higher pick on him. So in terms of the board changing, it's where I can get the guy, not what I think of him as a player. Because again, that's not changing. His games are in the books. They largely know how big he is, how fast he is. Like something might come up in medicals and often does, you know, at Indy, but that that's yet to be determined. But if you've already talked to this guy when you're, you know, on campus for his junior or his, you know, sophomore pro day, and you already know how big he is and you already had all his tape, your grade's not changing, but you're like, oh man, I thought we were going to get that guy in the bottom of the second round, and now there is no way that's going to happen. So we need to adjust our board based on value. It is like stock going up and down in terms of perception because you can no longer get him where you thought you might, and if you still want him, then you have to reshuffle all those other choices. I look at it almost like, um, again, the grade isn't changing like you mentioned. The grade, the grade's the grade. 
like the, the grade was probably finalized in December. Mm-hmm. Um, but with four to 600 players that are in consideration for getting drafted, there's clusters, right? There's groups Correct. of guys that are in the same position with roughly equivalent grades by November, December. And what these all-star events do, like when, when we talk about movement up and down the board, it's really sore uh, movement within your cluster. Like these all-star seasons can act almost like a tiebreaker mm-hmm. of like, hey, we have a pretty similar film grade, but you know, this guy went to the senior bowl and like never lost a rep. So we, we kind of feel good about that because he went against the best of the best all week and and you know, or or Shrine Bowl, like Christian Boyd, right? Like, hey, he's in he's in our our cluster of like early day three interior defensive lineman never lost a rep at shrine. So that's kind of like our tiebreaker. Like we might take him before some of the other guys like say Briggs or whatever. So I, I caution people against talking uh, or, you know, kind of buying into like the, the late riser narrative or anything like that, because all these teams to your point know what they are, but they use this part of draft season, whether it's one-on-ones medical checks, interviews, they use this as tiebreakers for similarly graded players from their film grade, which is already long done. And then those tiebreakers can then result in in very different uh, orders, I would say, in terms of these guys going off the board. Yeah, and teams have very different orders as well, which we know from many years like they will not look at the two teams will not look at the same prospect the same way they can look at that prospect depending on their system or their preferences or their current roster that's a factor as well like hey we just don't need a center this year so like we love jpj but we're not going to spend a higher round pick on him so it's cool and we're definitely going to do a full grade on him we're definitely going to interview him because hey if in four or five years he comes up in free agency we want to be able to take our pro scouts back to what we thought of him coming out of oregon look at his progression it is a baseline but there you know he's not really quote unquote on their board unless he you know ends up dropping a couple rounds below or he's expected to be taken and then they're just like okay value at this point like is he just the best player on our board well speaking of jpj he is you know we each kind of chose five early winners he is your your first one um what specifically about his time at senior bowl uh, do you think, again, not elevating, but more so confirming his status as interior offensive line one? What what was it about Senior Bowl week that I think uh, for you solidified that? Well, I'm going to bring up the point that this year he actually had it. In previous years, we never would have seen him at an all-star game. He's a junior. Juniors were only allowed into all-star games this year. So in previous years, he would have had to stand on his film grade and his pro day performance, whatever he did at the combine. But again, these one-on-ones are very important. And he dominated because he is huge for a center. 323 uh, held very well against Bull Rush. And he's got speed. A lot of people tend to think of interior offensive line players in two categories. Okay, if he's really big, then he can't move. He can anchor. He's better in power gap. But, hey, we've got a scheme where you need outside zone. There's a lot of tape of him running outside zone and obliterating poor corners and safeties and whatever at 323 on the move outside at Oregon. So he's a rare prospect that way because he's got great movement skills, great size, very good hands. Um, you know, he's a young player, is a I believe a true junior. 
there just wasn't anything to sort of mark against him. He only played for two days, ended up, I think, pulling a hamstring, you know, nothing serious, but just backed out. Didn't need to do any more work after that, had already achieved what he could achieve by going against the top competition and just holding strong, having great measurables, pretty much everything you need. Like every box is checked. If you go again to Indy, you check the medicals and they're clean. You talk to that guy. He has a great understanding of what you want to do. Like there's, there's nothing left. That guy's going to go off the board very, very quickly because he fits in, I would say every scheme. And unless you have a knock against him that you pull up from interviews or medicals, like he's plug and play. I think my favorite part about his profile is his true freshman year, 2021. You know, he was a, a, a like a rotational backup on the offensive line, uh, played a bunch of, bunch of snaps at right guard, um, you know, and like blowout wins. He would come in late, um, played some left guard, played some center. They'd just get him on the field any way they could. And then they got to the Alamo Bowl. And like, <laughs> we just, we just got to get him on the field. So they put him at defensive tackle yep. for a game. In the Alamo Bowl, just because they they're like we got to get him out there, like he's because they he's could. A crazy athlete, because they could, you know. And then uh, he didn't actually make his first start on the offensive line until Thanksgiving week last season. I'm talking about 2022. So he has less than a season and a half of starting experience, and he's the best interior offensive lineman in this class. That is that is so incredibly rare. <laughs> like we're talking about, um, you know, Travis Frederick potential. I, I think when I when I when I watch his tape, I see a lot of Travis Frederick of just here's a wall of a human being that moves unnaturally well for how wide he is built. I guess is, is the is the proper term. Like he's just wide, and and wide people don't normally have fluid hips like him, quick feet like him. Like it, it's. It doesn't make sense. No, his tape. It truly doesn't make sense. And he's a special, special player. I, I again, I, I had kind of a similar thought as you of like, oh, maybe he'll go in like the Creed Humphrey range, right? Because he's a center. Yep. And we had similar thoughts about Creed coming out. We're like, here's a here's one of the 32 best players in this class, and then he ended up going like mid second round, and then immediately became one of the top three centers in the NFL. So we we're going into this year thinking like, if Creed went that late, this kid's probably going to go that late. I think after senior bowl, no way, <laughs> nah. like absolutely nah. no way he's going top 25 probably. Well, he becomes one of those players that at the end of the first round from, I would say anywhere from about 22 onward, anybody can choose him because he may be the best ranked player on their board. And if need lines up with value there, you just choose him and feel really solid about the fact that again, you're getting the full package. It's not like, Oh, we love the way he moves. We love the way his head works, but we got to put some weight on him or his hands have to get a little stronger or whatever. No, you just, you already have all those boxes checked. And like I said, you put him in there and what's left is experience, right? And he'll get that, but he's already proven in a very high level program. I mean, this is Bo Nix's center, right? So if you're watching Bo Nix, it's Jackson Powers Johnson for the most part. And a lot of great tape. A lot of people were sort of, I don't want to say whispering about him, but again, a lot of Pac-12 players um, tend to not get as much buzz as some of their East Coast counterparts. There were plenty of people who know offensive line talking about JPJ in the middle of the season. But again, you put him on the biggest stage and 
you know, against top competition from all those schools that other players get talked about from. And he basically doesn't lose. At that point, yeah, okay, let's just feel really safe about taking this kid. So my first early winner in draft season, again, kind of more solidifying his place than anything else, uh, Lad McConkey from Georgia. It's a very, very stacked receiver class, and he is in a cluster with a bunch of other names that are going to go between picks 25 and 45, right? There's probably like six or seven dudes in that range. And I think his ability to separate consistently has separated him from a lot of guys in that cluster. And I think he kind of solidified his status of going, I would say, in the top 40 selections. If he went like 33 at Carolina, it would make sense because they just need guys that can separate and nobody other than possibly Roman Wilson at the Senior Bowl separated like Lad McConkey that week. He's a tremendous route runner. He's exceptionally quick in short areas. Uh, he's got really good long speed. I think I think he's going to clock somewhere in like the mid to high four fours, I'd bet. Mm-hmm. Um, the one reason why I think he's going to survive more inside than outside is he's just kind of light. He's like He played at sub 190, and it's tough for guys that size to, to sometimes handle press coverage uh, against, you know, long, strong, lanky corners in the NFL. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily see him lining up against Tariq Woolen and, and having a lot of success outside. So I, I would say he's more a Z receiver that you can put him in motion consistently to give him like free releases where he can just let his quickness work or you put him in the slot where he's off the line of scrimmage and again, give him some more free releases. And if he does have those free releases... He's going to get open. So uh, I see him as a very reliable, very, very reliable slot receiver that should go somewhere in the top 40 picks to a team that needs somebody in the slot that can just get open. Yeah, my annual PSA, it's draft time. Receivers can win in three places. There are different ways for different receivers to win. Some win in all three places. Those three places are off the line, at your release, at the break point, or at the catch point. Mm-hmm. McConkie is excellent at the first two. He has a great release package. You're going to have trouble getting your hands on him. Like you said, he's extremely quick in short areas. That translates to his breaks with his route running, so he can win there as well. And at the catch point, he's not bad. Like, I wouldn't say he's elite in contested catch situations, but he's solid. I don't worry about him there. So he he can already win off the line and at the break. And that's typically what you see from him is like he has a little he has a, a good lead. He's NFL open off the line. At his break, he becomes college open, right? He becomes wide open at that point. So a lot of his contested catch situations aren't going to occur because the defender's not going to stay with him for through the first two phases. So he definitely helped his stock, definitely won against everybody that was there. Um, I think Again, there are, because this receiver class, and we're going to talk about it over and over again, has so many players and it's so stacked. Yes, there are tiers, but there are going to be more tiers than usual, and they're going to have more players in them. And that just means more kind of log jams where you used to maybe have four players in a tier, maybe five. Now you're going to have six or eight, sometimes 10, especially when you get farther down. And you're looking for things that differentiate them. And he may have effectively jumped a tier 
at the Senior Bowl where people were thinking he was the top of maybe the third tier, and now he's solidly in that second tier and and might be moving towards the top of that. Um, I you know I don't think of him as a first tier receiver in this class, and and where you said he's going to get drafted, that jives with that. But he is going to be in strong strong competition in the middle of that second tier, and again a lot of dealer's choice is going to occur for NFL teams. Hey, we need a slot guy versus this. We need a taller guy versus a speed guy. We need this. And if he, with everything he's shown, lines up, and he will line up with a lot of teams based on all the skills he showed, he could be picked uh, certainly, I think, earlier than people would have thought, quote unquote, a month ago. Now, that's not teams. That's just fans. But he definitely elevated that profile into, hey, this isn't a guy that I'm going to be looking at in the, you know, the 20s or 30s. And that's not a backhanded compliment in this receiver class. Like it's 35, 40 guys deep, easy, right? You know, you're now talking about him in the in the mid teens. You talk about position ranking in the mid teens. Yeah. Yeah. Not not overall. It, I'm, not, I'm not thinking yeah. middle of the yeah. first round. <laughs> No, no, yeah. but yeah, he if might not be higher. The, he could be, he could be. And again, some team, I guarantee some teams have him higher than that on their board. I would also guarantee that some teams probably have him lower because again, there are so many talented receivers in this class. It's not, this is not McConkie shade. This is, teams are going to sort these, this class wildly differently. Other than receiver, it is kind of a, a sneaky deep corner class as well. You know, Nate Wiggins, uh, Terry Arnold, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Um, there's there's a lot, you know, uh, there Renardo Green, you know, somebody that we saw at Shrine who were like, oh, my God, that's a that's a rookie starting press man corner. If I've ever seen one, uh, there's a lot of great corners in this class. And one had more pressure on him than probably anybody else uh, in Senior Bowl week. And that was Quinion Mitchell from Toledo to prove that. He could do it against the top guys, and yep, he did it against the top guys. I, I, he might have been the best overall player on the field the entire week. So Quinion Mitchell was my CB2 in this class going into Senior Bowl, at, well, just into All-Star Game Week in general. I love his size. There was going to be questions about level of competition. There was going to be questions about his speed, and he answered both of those, I would say, resoundingly in the positive getting through senior bowl week covering all the receivers that were there and i don't think anybody has any questions about who he can cover or how he can cover where he can cover he covered down the field he had some nice anticipation interceptions the deep one in the end zone ended up all over social media but like he's made plays all year long he's got great size i think he's got really good technique he does not have the greatest long speed but again you can win in a different way as a corner, just like you can win in a different way as a wide receiver, and he just wins. So I think he's solidly my CB2 going into the draft. He is going to be picked higher than some people would imagine coming out of a school like Toledo. But again, don't scout the helmets. If you can play, the NFL will find you. They He was already on everybody's radar as one of the top corners. If we're talking about sort of all-stars of the all-star game and you're picking, you know, three from each game, it would be hard not to have Quinion Mitchell in that top three coming out of senior bowl week. He's, a, he's the type of corner who the footwork is buttery smooth, the hips are extremely fluid, ball skills, instincts, everything like that. Um, he reminds me a lot of, uh, you remember Kevin Johnson probably mm-hmm. what, like seven drafts ago yeah. when he was coming out 
similar kind of frame, similar kind of play style, um, somebody who can actually survive in off coverage, which there's a lot of corners in this class that I, I would never, ever, ever put seven <laughs> yards off because I, I just don't think they play in space that well. He can do that in addition to also, you know, playing bump and run like we saw at the Senior Bowl. Um, and I know there's going to people people are saying, ah, Kevin Johnson, what the hell are you talking about? Well, mm. Kevin Johnson was a pretty high pick. And before injuries, you know, at the end of his rookie year, kind of like derailed his career. But before the injuries, he was actually a really good corner. And it just, you know, Again, his career kind of went off the tracks early, but like there was a lot to work with there. And as a prospect, Quinion Mitchell reminds me a lot of, uh, or has has a lot of the traits that that Kevin Johnson also had that made Kevin Johnson be a pretty high pick. So I I really do like him a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes, hell, maybe even the top, again, top 20, 25 picks, just like Jackson it's- Powers Johnson. It's honestly whenever you think CB2 is going off the board. And that's just... Which it's corner, so that could be pretty early. <laughs> exactly, know? right? It could be top 15. I don't think necessarily it would, but we've certainly seen drafts where the second corner goes off the board at 14, at 16, at 18. Like, again, Mitchell's CB2, so wherever you think CB2 is going is probably where he's going to end up going. My second... Well... I should say winners, not winner. Uh, but my second winner of early draft season is going to be Spencer Rattler, but actually J.J. McCarthy. It's like Allow the Scooby-Doo mask. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's actually J.J. No, McCarthy. It, really, it really is. It really is. Because like, <laughs> if you look at Spencer Rattler down at the Senior Bowl, like by most accounts, he was the best quarterback there. Which, you know, just watching the Senior Bowl practice tape, it's like, yeah, he probably was. Like, the arm talent was on display. Supposedly, he nailed his interviews. You know, he's he's grown a lot as both a person and a player since early in his career, you know, at OU and, and especially in high school, which, I mean, how many of us were dickheads in high school? Probably a lot of us, right? So I, I don't really hold that against him because so much growth can happen from the time you're 17 to the time you're 22. Um, I mean, shit, his brain still isn't fully developed yet. Like, we got to remember that, okay? So I, I'm going to give him some grace on that. And by all accounts, he's he's grown up and nailed his interviews and also still has one hell of an arm and made some pretty impressive throws down there in Mobile. So he is an early winner. But honestly, the actual early winner to <laughs> me is J.J. McCarthy because Bo Nix wasn't the best quarterback in Mobile and because Michael Penix wasn't the best quarterback in Mobile. I think... That event should have been a launching pad for one of them to take firm grasp of mm-hmm. of the of the QB four slot, right? You know, and again, Michael Penix might go lower because of medical issues and stuff like that. But especially for Bo Nix, like with a clean medical sheet and you know as much talent as he has, like he was supposed to go out there and answer questions of can you throw the deep ball effectively because they they didn't do that that much at Oregon like he had one of the six lowest average depth of targets in all of college football still had one of the six best yards per attempts but like again it was a very yak focused offense and he was supposed to use mobile as as a way to show like I can attack every inch of the field and he didn't do that and so for me JJ McCarthy was a big winner because 
we're starting to see a steady, steady drumbeat of J.J. McCarthy as QB4. He's going to get drafted as QB4, potentially in the top 15, or if you listen to Dane Brugler, who's pretty plugged in, top 12 picks. It felt like there was an opportunity there for both Michael Penix and Bo Nix to, to again, plant their flag and say, like, we're the guys, we can do this, and uh, and neither did. And just by virtue of the fact that McCarthy wasn't there, uh, he he might have won. This is another fact of draft season. For everybody that we say or anybody else says is quote-unquote rising or going up the board or drawing more interest or whatever else, for every opposite, you know, every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every player that goes up, another player goes down. And that is that's just a fact. You can't choose two players with the same slot. So if somebody goes up, somebody goes down. And it's relative positioning, just like we talked about at the top. And you're not wrong. If if prospects come out and don't necessarily seize the opportunity in the way that scouts or teams were hoping they would, really, you said it best, plant their flag. If they don't do that, they slide down and that gap gets filled by other players. And sometimes it's addition by subtraction, right? I wasn't there Mm -hmm. to show you. I wasn't there to give you, you know, who knows? Maybe J.J. McCarthy goes and, you know, throws four interceptions the first day of practice and everybody jumps on him and goes, oh, right. Again, the grade's not going to change. His traits aren't going to change. Teams are going to look at him the same way, but it is going to be a taste in people's mouths. And that could have pushed him down. The fact that he was just neutral because he was not participating because his season ended like 10 days before the event is a win for him. And there were a lot of voices even a couple months ago, people binging me. Hey, is he quarterback three? You know, why don't you have him? You know, he might even be quarterback two. And I was like, "Mm, it's a little rich for my blood, either one. But quarterback four, I think he can slide and has slid for the most part solidly into that slot right now and has the potential to rise to quarterback three again, depending on you know, what comes out of India in terms of people's comfort with size, with medicals, with interviews for sure. Um, and yeah, Dane, our buddy Dane is very well plugged in and uh, definitely rattled a few cages when he threw that top 12 number out there for McCarthy. I still think that's probably a little rich for my blood, not having completed my full study of McCarthy. But, you know, is it Am I going to bet against it at this point? I think I'll just, again, I'll take the McCarthy route. I'll just take the neutral. I won't put any money on that, and I'll let, let all that sort out. The, my thing with McCarthy, so he is my last draft evaluation video that I plan to release on my channel. <laughs> because I need time. Yeah. Like, I need time. I I, I can't give you my greater opinion on him yet. Like, I don't know what it is. I I have to watch literally every game Mm -hmm. because that's the only way I'm going to get to see enough high-level throws because there weren't weren't that many. Not because he can't do it. They just didn't ask him to do it. Right. And, I mean, if we're talking about far-hash go balls, right? Like, that's like an NFL throw. Got to have that on the resume. Michael Penix had a billion of them. Also, fun fact, Michael Penix had 104 attempts of 20-plus yards which is absurd. He's one of the only two quarterbacks to do that this year. But if we're talking about just throwing a go ball from the far hash, one of the the hardest big boy throws you can make, especially in college because the hashes are wider, J.J. McCarthy had three the entire year. Yep. 
So it's a hard eval. Like you gotta you gotta hunt to find NFL throws. And so it's gonna take me a while to complete this. The teams are way ahead of me because they've been doing this for two years on him. Um, so they already know, they already have their grade done, but like we said, tiebreakers, this is tiebreaker season, and not all tiebreakers are positive. Some are negative, and it's possible that the that what happened in Mobile was a tiebreaker in McCarthy's favor without him ever having to to throw the ball. Um, but I I will not be giving my evaluation of McCarthy until much later in the draft process because it's going to take me a long, long time to figure this shit out. Not to mention he was hurt in the back half of the year. Like he got hurt against Penn State, could barely put weight on his ankle in next week in the Maryland game, didn't get healthy until he had a month off before the playoffs. So like the last four regular season games against like the best teams he was playing against, you can't even really use because he was hurt. So it's, God, it's just fucking hard, man. I don't, I don't know. Numbers wise, it's really interesting. I'll give you another fun one. You know who had uh, six less overall attempts than McCarthy this season? Who? Jaden Daniels. Really? Oh, yep. maybe because the extra playoff game. Maybe that's <laughs> right. Why. But here's the thing, right? If you say, and you are absolutely correct that you have to sort of mine through McCarthy's tape and look for certain things which weren't very often doesn't mean he can't do it means he was not asked to do it very often or they didn't do it in the offense and we've all seen plenty of plenty of examples of players who just because they didn't get asked to do it doesn't mean they can't do it and we want to make sure you don't have that miss especially on a quarterback prospect who is very talented was very highly recruited whatever else but in terms of the throws they did have it's easier to go through Daniel's six total less throws than McCarthy and feel really good about checking off a lot of those quote unquote NFL big boy throws that you're talking about because he threw them all the time. Right. Oh yeah. And Their whole offense was like, Oh, slot fade. Send slot it. Fade. Yeah. Slot fade. Send <laughs> so you can see that. And you know, I I've had a lot of people come at me and say, well, that's the offense. Yeah. hundred percent. That's the offense. Oh, well that's his receiving talent. You know, Daniels had, you know, neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. I'm sorry, but a guy we're going to talk about in just a second, uh, you know, Roman Wilson and Cornelius, like they're not, they're not that far below. Like, yes, they're below those two guys, but not that far. So I'm not, I'm not going to take the receiver argument. I will absolutely take the offense argument. He just wasn't asked to do it that much and did less with the throws he had in terms of if you're looking at any of the statistical measures in terms of a dot in terms of, you know, average yard per completion, any of that, like it's just, it's less. So you got to pick through what was there. You got to factor in the injury. It is a, it is a difficult and challenging thing to do. Uh, we, we mentioned Christian Boyd a while back and we've talked about him multiple times again, mm-hmm. especially tribal week of like, Oh my God, this is, this is a, this is a dude. Dude's and, really uh, he made sure. he made your list of early winners, but I'm I'm confused, <laughs> staggered, <laughs> flummoxed. Be- he didn't get a combine invite after yeah. being one of the best players overall at the Shrine Bowl. Crushed interviews, from what we heard. Crushed the one on ones, obviously. Yeah. Crushed our dominant interview. in the game. Yep. Like I. For him to not go to the combine, to me, means that he must have done so many interviews at Shrine that teams didn't think they needed to do another one. 
Like that's the only reason I can think. Cause like, yeah. what the hell? I don't have a great reason for this. I think it's the biggest snub. Uh, you know, our buddy Fran Duffy who works for the Eagles put out a list of, you know, six major snubs for the combine. There, there are always these lists. Uh, important to know that there are less total players invited to the combine this year than in previous years. Um, I don't know what the reasoning for that is. It's a fact. Uh, and again, with the class size being large and the combine class being a little bit smaller than it has been historically, like there are going to be some guys around the edges that get left out. Christian Boyd is number one on the left out list in my mind. Absolute stump of a human being. Like so solidly built when you see him. I actually said this at Shrine that he actually looks bigger to me without pads on. Like when you see him walking around in just a t-shirt and shorts and slides, he looks bigger than he does with pads on. I'm not sure how that happens, but maybe it's just relative size for other guys. Um, very, very strong human being. Comes with a plan, uh, sat down before he went to Shrine. And a lot of guys do this, but you don't quite see the results in the same way. Sat down with his agent, watched tape of all the guys he was going to go against. Saw who else was invited on terms of interior offensive line for Shrine. Came up with a plan for every one of them. How he was going to attack them, how he was going to rush them. And you saw that from day one. He had an unstoppable push-pull move. Got some very good players on the ground with it. Nobody was able to stop him. Combined hand usage, one of the rare players that you see coming out of college that always uses two moves. I don't care whether he's going through a drill, whether it's a rush in a game, there are always two moves linked together. And that is extremely rare when you watch as many prospects as we do, seeing that consistently. He's also much quicker on his feet for a guy that's as square as he is with kind of stumpy, mm-hmm. short, very powerful legs. His feet move very, very well. And well, you can see the, the basketball background show up. 100 percent for sure this guy is just an athlete who also happens to be very good at his craft uh has a polished hand usage you know routine repertoire whatever you want to call it is effective is powerful and on top of all that has a sort of mental edge is just that little bit nasty and i want to see that from a player that's basically getting in a fight every down like i want to see a player that has an edge and says, no, nah, I, I think I can beat that guy's ass like, and then goes out and does it. So he he just has everything. Great interview. We sat down with him. You'll see that on the channel. Very surprised he didn't get a combine invite. Very solid player. Will be drafted, I think, comfortably in the middle rounds. And whoever gets him is going to be really, really happy with who they get as a person, as a player, as a prospect. Just a, a truly dominant player, you know, uh, and he played against plenty of NFL quality competition, you know, whether it's North Dakota state, South Dakota state, obviously (laughs) there's like seven NFL players in the South Dakota state offense. And he beat them like Mason McCormick tried to back block him. And Mason McCormick's going to be a top hundred pick at guard that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But like he, he just stacked Mason and literally threw him to the ground. So that's, that is an NFL defensive tackle folks coming out of you and I believe it. Um, Another player that really caught our eye at shrine bowl somebody who absolutely lit up the interview process as well. Uh, Rabbit Taylor Demerson, hybrid safety slash nickel slash everything DB from Texas Tech. Um, Just a phenomenal person, phenomenal interview, super smart. And, you know, we, we heard rumblings that every team that talked to him loved him, like absolutely loved him. So, again, we talk about these all-star events being – the potential to move your name up within a cluster. 
I would say within that cluster of like nickel safety guys that are going to go between the fourth and sixth round, and there's like 10 of them this year, <laughs> uh, I would say the Shrine Bowl helped Rabbit kind of move his name up within that cluster of if we're going to get that type of player, let's go with the guy who we feel very good about after talking to him in person. Love his intelligence, love his experience, love his attitude. Like he's gonna, like he's gonna be a captain in the NFL one day. He absolutely will be. I love him so much. You want to put him at free safety, fine. You want to put him in the slot, fine. I think he's a Tyron Matthew type in terms of role. I'm not saying he's Tyron. Very few players are, but like in terms of role, that's probably what he's what he's gonna do in the NFL. And I could see him getting playing time fairly early as a rookie because. Those types are pretty valuable. Versatility-wise, he is incredibly valuable. A lot of times when we're talking about, you know, can do this and can do this with a player, one of those is really strong and one of those is, yeah, in a pinch you could put him there. Taylor Demerson is one of those players where he will be, you know, 20 yards off the line as the single high deep free safety and play the ball in the air just as well as you need him to. Next play, he will be in press coverage like half a yard off the tackle on a you know tight slot alignment, just mash that guy, toss him, and then make the run fit in the tackle. Does hit, has great long speed. When he really opens it up, he can move. He can really run guys down. Um, yeah, the combination and the fact that he has what I'll call true versatility, not just kind of like denoted versatility, like, oh, he's played both. No, he is really effective in both those roles, both very popular roles in the NFL. Even with two high structures, you need safeties that fill the run from depth, right? That can mm-hmm. run the alley. He can run and hit from depth like that. That gives him a role right there. But he can also line up in tight slot alignments and be a force player in the run without question. So very, very valuable player. Great guy. Great interview. Um, I can see him playing very early. We mentioned uh, Mason McCormick, uh, the South Dakota State guard, a few minutes back. Uh, also potentially South Dakota State center because he was playing center for several, more than several reps uh, during Shrine Bowl week. So he's kind of being tested out as like a do-it-all interior offensive lineman. One of our favorite players in this class, genuinely great dude, and uh, one of the hardest to beat interior offensive linemen in one-on-ones that we saw during, uh, during All-Star season as well. He might have lost like one rep the whole week in one-on-ones, like uh, maybe. He was he was awesome. Make no mistake, Mason McCormick is one of my dudes in this draft. Like, if we're making a my dudes list, Mason McCormick is going on mine. I like the person. I love the player. Played almost exclusively at guard at South Dakota State. They get him to the Shrine Bowl, saw him snapping, and I asked him about that because again, players that kind of can do two things. Everybody's going to say they can do two things, so I don't ask them, "Hey, can you?" Because they'll all say yes. It's a job interview. Right. I asked them if specifically with guard centers, like, do you like it? Because center comes with an expanded responsibility set. You now have to set protections. You got to have communication. Obviously, you got to get the snap to the quarterback in the right way. And some guys just don't want that. They're like, nope, line me up at guard and let me go kick people's ass. Like, that's what I want. Mason, I asked him, do you like it? He was like, I love it. He lit up. He's like, this is great. Like, I, I really enjoy it. I think it's cool. So to me, he is truly capable as a center prospect. In fact, one of the best reps I saw all year. On tape, he's more of a mauler. He uses his power more often. He's running guys over. He is a badass on the field. There is no question. Center, a lot of times, especially in pass pro, 
it's more technical. You have a wider range of bigger gap. You have kind of a two-way go. You got to use your hands. Um, and really hadn't seen as much of that. He was effective in pass pro, but it was more like, I'm going to latch onto you and make sure you're not going anywhere. And mm-hmm. I was literally standing next to Will Shields. We were watching 101s. Uh, you know, Will was kind of leaned up against the post. Will Shields, Hall of Fame guard for the Chiefs. And he's kind of listening to me, but he is invested in the reps, right? And we met last year, and so we were talking again, and it was Mason's rep. And he goes back, and great set with his feet, super quick set with his feet, uses his hands to deflect, reset, mirrors with his feet, and then re-engages with his hands. And Will literally like cut me off in conversation and goes, that's one of his best reps of the week. Right there, that's one of his best reps of the week. And I was I was honestly going to say the same thing because we just hadn't seen that, especially at the center position in pass protection. And you wanted to see that motion. And when a Hall of Famer like pops out of his conversation and goes, right there, right there, that's what we want to see. <laughs> I completely agreed with him. I saw that growth. Uh, again, we got to know the person a little bit. He was one of those guys that floated back into the interview area a couple of times and you know, just checked in with us. He's generally good dude, has that versatility, had great solid tape at guard, and then adds center versatility and shows growth in an area that you hadn't seen on tape during an all-star game against top competition. Like, sign me up for Mason McCormick. He's going to go somewhere in the top 100 is is what I would bet uh and he's he's gonna be one of those names where when when it gets called people are gonna be like who like who the who is that what they're gonna know real quick (laughs) it's gonna be like week six yep and he's gonna get in a lineup and then never leave so that's that's Mason McCormick to me um keeping it with Shrine Bowl one more time fourth guy on my early winners Mo Camara um another Highly, highly, highly productive pass rusher in a class that has many of those. It's it's interesting. This class doesn't have like the Miles Garrett. It doesn't have uh, the Chase Young. We're talking about just in terms of prospects, right? Guys that, you know, any of the Boses where it's like yeah. household name going into it. First one off the board is probably going to be Dallas Turner, I bet. And like the absolute highest pick I think he could go is eight to Atlanta. So there's not one of those guys. Mm-hmm. But it's a very deep class of edge rushers, and Mo Camara is one of the better uh, names when it comes to that depth, right? He's going to go, again, probably third, fourth, could sneak into the top of the fifth round because he's not the biggest guy. And he went to Colorado State. He's like a six foot, 250 pound pass rusher that went to CSU. Like, that's not typically a profile that goes super high, right? But I'll tell you what, he wins. You know, he was second in the nation in pressures behind only Braylon Trice, had a bunch of sacks, dominated the Colorado game, which is where most people remember him from. You know, he's on, on the national stage, one of the most watched games of the year. And uh, and he was a big, big, big-time performer in that game. Went to the Shrine Bowl, won most of his one-on-ones throughout the week, dominated in the actual game, was a handful for every single tackle on the field. And there were some pretty good tackles there. Um, I just look at Mo Camara as, as a, a complimentary pass rush piece that will go, I don't want to say late, but not early mm. amongst all the edges in this class. But I could very, very easily see him outperforming a lot of the edges that go in front of him just because he's so smart. 
Like he absolutely knows how to rush the passer. Like if we're talking from a, a technical perspective, if we're talking about experience, instinct, you know, he understands angles, he understands leverage, he understands the value of bend. You know, we, we when we interviewed him, he was talking about how he'll he'll switch up his feet pre-snap just based on you know the types of sets he's getting, and he wants to hit the correct move on the correct count so that he's pushing off the correct leg, and like he just gets it. He gets pass rushing, and I think that's that's so underrated. You know, size be damned, measurables be damned. Like that kid knows what he's doing, and that's got to count for something. So he's going to go in probably the fourth or fifth round and outproduce a lot of guys that go in the second or third round. I'd, I'd put money on that. Love him to death. Mo Camara is a great interview. He knows that he is not the longest, that he is not the tallest. And he also knows that that makes him a huge pain in the ass for taller tackles. He mm-hmm. said as much. He said, at the end of the day, they have to play me. Like, I know they're thinking, look, this guy's small. This guy's not as fast. He's not going to test out of this world. He's going to test fine. His length isn't going to be great. He's obviously not very tall. He knows that. He knows all that. And despite that, he wins a lot. And when we talked to the tackles, the tackles we interviewed at Shrine were like, damn, that guy from Colorado State, he's a pain. I got to bend down to get him because he's short and he bends like crazy. He has some of the best bend in this class. And I know that sounds like hyperbole. It's not. He doesn't have a lot of other things. He doesn't have length. He's not going to have the sort of super top flight speed that you're going to see or necessarily want out of an edge rusher but he bends his ankle flexion is top rate and he understands like you said the technical pass rushing the other thing i love is the attitude that that thing he said to us they have to play me at the end of the day and we asked his teammate about it we sit teammates down we go you know what's what's this other guy on your team like that's here we asked his corner uh she goes hey, a newsium he was like you know what's the deal with mo like and he said mo is mo there is no off switch. I don't care when you find that guy. Practice, shopping for groceries, doing assignments, playing video games late at night, on the field in the locker room. He's the same guy. It is it is all go with Mo. It is always on. And that's why he was a captain at Colorado State. That's why he's super productive. It's why he's going to be productive in the pros because he knows he's got limitations. He also knows where he wins and where he can really make it hard on other guys. And he does. And great player. Love to watch him. Uh, we have another edge in this class. Well, I don't know. Is he an edge? Is he a defensive? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the answer is yes. Like yeah, he's kind of he both, can be either. Yeah. T- talk to me about Darius Robinson, who is one of, uh, again, one of the biggest winners of Senior Bowl week. And in a, as we just mentioned, pretty, pretty deep edge slash defensive end group, even if there's not like the top, top, top guy. Um, there's there's pretty uh, there's pretty big clusters I would mm-hmm. say of names that you can draw out of a hat that'll go anywhere anywhere between like fifteen and forty. You know it's it's Chop Robinson, it's Leatu Latu, it's Braylon Trice, it's the other Penn State Isaac. Isaac, uh, and and Darius Robinson was in that cluster. And I'd be willing to bet his name's a little bit higher up in the cluster now after what he did in Mobile. Yeah, the question about whether he's a defensive end or an edge, the answer is yes, he can play either. And there's a lot of players that can't. They are going to be in one of those particular roles because of either size limitations or physical limitations, game limitations. Robinson showed even a senior bowl week that he can line up in a you know standard four down front, 
use his length. All the things we just said about Mo Camara that he doesn't have, Robinson does have. He's almost 300 pounds. He has super long arms. He is quick enough, even at that size and speed, to get off the edge, use those hands, keep tackles off of him. Again, had dominating week where he beat he beat everybody. He beat, you know, I love to say T's, G's, and C's. He beat everybody <laughs> up and down the line. And that's a hard thing to do. He found a way. He's got length. He's got power. He's got speed. You're not worried about the level of competition, certainly with the schedule that Missouri played. Like you're gonna see that you're gonna see the tape. And he did, you know, quote unquote rise in in the eyes of scouts in the senior bowl week because he showed that he has that versatility both positionally against people he's going to play against that's alignment versatility physically he's not you know short any attributes he's got all the ones you want for players in either of those roles and he just won he found a way to win up and down the line against top competition that is absolutely going to quote unquote raise his stock i also chose an edge rusher from senior bowl as my my last name on this list and it's it's a little bit different because he's been at the top for a lot of people for most of this process. And I think, I don't want to call it prospect fatigue. I mean, it kind of is prospect fatigue. Like, I think people just got tired of talking about Leate Latu. Yeah. And so then it's like, ooh, shiny thing over here, Chop Robinson. Ooh, Dallas Turner. Ooh, Braylon Trice. And then Latu showed up to Senior Bowl and just bitch slapped everybody. And I think it was a nice reminder of like, oh, yeah, he's really good. Like, I understand the medical component. Like, that could be the thing that 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 causes him to slip. But it ain't going to be the on-field grade. Like, I'll tell you that much. Like, that is, as far as just pass rushing goes, he's probably the best pass rusher, like pure pass rusher in this class. I, I understand there's reasons why he might be like the fourth or fifth edge off the board. But good God, like he went to Mobile and just dominated everybody. Like even Fuaga, it's going to be a top 10 pick probably at tackle. Like he got Fuaga a couple times too. So I, I, I love Leotu Latu. I understand all of the concerns. They're concerns that I share. But if we're just sitting back, like what, what you and I did in, uh, when we were in Dallas, where like we're just sitting on the couch, you know, with some with some pizza and just throwing on guys like Ooh, who who's fun to watch. Let's just enjoy ourselves. Like Leato Latu, top of the list. He's just fucking fun to watch, and uh, I really can't wait to see where he goes. Cause, God, he's good. And you know what they're throwing out now? Huh? Oh, he might be topped out. He's so good. He's so well developed. His hand use is so advanced. He has so many counters, which are all the things we typically say to you about pass rushers coming into the league. Oh, he's good, but he really needs a counter. He needs a counter like I need air. Like Latu doesn't. He has all that stuff. So now everybody's like, well, I don't know. I don't think he can probably advance a lot from here. He might be topped out. So ceiling, he might already be at it. That's what they're saying now because of that performance. Along with, hey, he had an injury. He quit football, which is kind of spooky considering the last guy we had this conversation about in an edge also had that issue at UCLA. You know, how do you <laughs> yeah, feel? Same about, school, Jalen Phillips. Yeah, how do you feel guy. about Jalen Phillips, right? Latu is a different player than Phillips. Uh, strangely, he has a similar issue. But, uh, you know, if you come through medicals and then you just look at pure production, if you're talking about that tape grade, nobody in this class has a tape grade like Latu. Like nobody. Not Braylon Trice, not Dallas, not, not any of those guys. Like 
his tape grade is above all of them in terms of ability. Now, he is not going to test at the top of the pyramid, right? There are guys that are going to test longer, faster, um, you know, maybe quicker uh, in terms of the underwear Olympics. He, he's not going to be a blow-away tester, I don't think. I think he'll test fine, but not great. And there's guys that are going to test great. And edges of the test great always grab a lot of attention. And the big conversation about sort of top edge in this class is going to come down between Dallas and him. And Dallas is going to be ceiling and potential. He hasn't reached it. He has better physical measurables. Do we think we can take him? Latu, is he at his ceiling? Can we live with his physical measurables? Do we think there's, you know, more room to tap that and grow him as a player? And that's going to be the issue. But I have not run into one person, not one, that says, oh, on tape, I have Dallas Boblatu. Like, not a single person. And look, draft opinions vary among analysts. No one has said that to me. It's, hey, man, he's got potential. He hasn't reached his ceiling yet. I think he can go to higher heights. I fully give you that. Like, that is a very solid argument that I'm not going to argue against. But that's going to come down to... You know, it's certainly medicals. There'll be a little bit of testing. If he tests extremely poorly, which I don't think he will, that could sandbag his stock as well, drop him down to the fourth or fifth edge. But at some point, somebody's going to look at all the competition he went against, the way he wins, all of his technical refinement as a pass rusher, which we will spend lots of time talking about in terms of tape, and go, we got to put this guy on our football team. Honorable mentions. These are a lot of names. (laughs) I'm talking about a lot of names that we... We wanted to consider, we wanted to throw in here, we just couldn't find space to fit. Uh, for me, Michael Hall Jr., interior pass rusher from Ohio State, had a great week at Senior Bowl. Patrick Paul, tackle from Houston, another great week at Senior. Tyler Guyton, freak of nature, tackle from OU. Zach Hines, um, you know, 6'7", baby soft hands. Uh, tight end who's also a true wide tight end he can block from South Dakota State Solomon Bird the USC edge who had a fantastic Shrine Bowl week Cornelius Johnson got open most of the time in the one-on-ones uh, at, at Shrine Bowl he's the Michigan receiver who uh, just because again nature of the offense didn't get used as much as could have elsewhere uh, Jerry and Jones Florida State nickel one of the top nickels in this class proved it again at Shrine Bowl uh, Juwan Briggs uh, the Cincinnati IDL, another great week at Shrine Bowl. And then Javon Foster uh, had a hell of a senior bowl week himself. Uh, there in the one-on-ones, strong as all hell. So, uh, <laughs> again, a lot of guys could have made, I, I think I'd like double the honorable mentions that I had in my actual list. Yeah. I was trying and to convey how, how how tough it was. Yeah, and there's a lot of good players at both of these games, and a lot of them had great weeks for different reasons, some cementing their status, some you know elevating their status, or, or just plain old showing up on our radar as, who the hell is that guy? I got to go back to him. Uh, my honorable mentions, Malik Washington, wide receiver from UVA, led the ACC in both rece- receptions and yards. Great, great player, showed out at Shrine Bowl. Peyton Wilson, linebacker from North Carolina State, big dude, 235, about 6'3", hit 23 miles an hour on the field in pads this year. Think about mm-hmm. that. Like, that's, that's silly. That's like Ty- Tyreek Hill speed. Yeah. yeah, at 235. Silly stuff. Taj Washington, uh, Caleb's 
other wide receiver at USC who just showed up over and over again. Uh, Renardo Green, we already talked about the outside corner from FSU, teammate of Jerry Jones. Great interview, great guy, great player. Uh, Gabe Hall had himself a senior bowl. Uh, definitely, I think, again, separated himself from possibly his tier. Christian Haynes, the guard from Connecticut. Definitely have to go back and watch more of him. He was on my list, but sort of down the list. He got elevated after his senior bowl performance. Ray Davis, big play Ray out of Kentucky. Love the way he runs. It's tough for running backs and inside linebackers to sort of show out at these games. It's not really set up to showcase their skills. Not a lot of contact. Um, Ray Davis continually shows up for me to Vondre Sweat, one of my preseason sort of All-Americans guy. I was really excited to see when I went to go down to Texas, uh, Kansas, Texas. Uh, famously didn't weigh in at the Senior Bowl. He was listed at 360. So the question was, how much above 360 are you that you don't want to weigh in? But this could be mad genius. Goes out and just dominates people physically could lose some weight between senior and combine run a little bit quicker at that lighter weight and then everybody's going to look at his all-star game performance and his measurables so he might just be crazy like a fox for that and then roman wilson really i think came out of senior bowl as the top wide receiver there showed separation at every level and kind of answered a lot of can he do everything check boxes for this deep wide receiver class so had himself a great week uh trev and connor over on NFL Stock Exchange, we're talking about Tavondre, and they're like, are we sure he's not like 385? <laughs> <laughs> we're not. Like, we are like, not. They're like, are we sure he's not pushing four hundo? Like they're they're like at three sixty seems like a lie, and maybe that's maybe that's why they're they're keeping it a mystery for a little bit. For sure. Hey, a lot of weight can be cut between All Star Week and Dude, Combine he just- Week. He smashed. He had great tape, too. Like, this is not a guy that just showed up at an all-star game and played great. Like, he was a guy that I told you about before the season. He was one of the top guys that I was looking forward to seeing live in Texas. Didn't disappoint uh, in that game. Didn't disappoint really all season. Had a teammate that, you know, sort of, again, elevated stock by doing some things that NFL teams really like, but just went to the senior bowl and just mashed some really good players. Poor Bo Limmer, the center from Arkansas, got absolutely turtled by Tavondre Sweat. It's just, it's a lot of guy to try and stop. Limmer got his a couple times. Like, that was was a battle. But I will say that the the one that Limmer lost definitely would have broken everything in my body because the way he got bent on that rep. Cautionary tale for NFL centers when Tavondre gets in the league. Don't lose. Yeah, it will hurt a lot if you lose. Like you don't will lose get that folded. way. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was if you're gonna to lose, just duck and cover, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> lose slowly and gracefully if you can, but if not, get the hell out of the way. Because uh, boy, if as soon as he feels you on your heels, like, dude, <laughs> he's just gonna lean. He's gonna push and lean. Rocked. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fun. It was fun week. Um, can you tell we're excited about draft season? <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of good players in this class. Uh, I I saw some comments of like, oh, this class isn't deep. This class doesn't have the talent of past years. And I could not disagree more. Like, I really like this class is awesome. Now, there are some some positions that are weaker, but like overall, it's it's great. I had some of those feelings earlier on and I'll say like August, September, but in through October, I started to feel like, no, it's at least equal. And then again, as we get deeper in and we get to go 
on the all-star game circuit and, and meet these guys and really start talking with all of our compatriots because we're all doing the same work at the same time. Yeah. I come away from this class feeling like, nah, there are a few positions too notably that if you need somebody there, probably not the greatest, not terrible. There's still talent there, but it's not super deep. Almost all the other positions. Yeah. You got a lot of choices of really quality players who can help your football team. It's a good year to be a free agent running back. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's one of the only good years to be a free agent running back. <laughs> yeah. Or inside linebacker for that matter. Or or inside linebacker. Yeah, there's like three in this yeah. class that I feel. Well, maybe two. <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> two and a half. Uh, that'll do it for today's show. Uh, thank you to... Uh, all of our sponsors for helping to make this possible. Obviously, Underdog Fantasy. By the way, Rookie Best Ball is live on Underdog right now. So Woo. if you're also a draft fiend like us and you're in a fantasy football, you can draft rookies right now on Underdog Fantasy. So this time last year, Puka Nakua wasn't even being drafted. Uh, Sam Laporta wasn't even being drafted. Like there are obviously some bigger names that have pretty outlandish ADPs to say the least. Marvin Harrison Jr. I think is going like the second round right now, but you don't need to take Marvin the second round because you can take uh, Roman Wilson in like the 14th round and feel pretty damn good about it. So uh, again, check out Underdog Fantasy. Use promo code bootleg. They will match your deposit up to $100 and you get access uh, to a pick'em special as a new depositor as well. So again, if you're really into the draft and fantasy football, Rookie Best Ball, live right now. Uh, you can also find bootleg merch, like the one I'm wearing right now. Over on Homage, our clothing partner, we get a cut of every single sale. So even if you don't buy bootleg, if you buy something to support your favorite team, because they have an NFL license and they have a ridiculous amount of NFL products, uh, anything you buy from the link in the description, we also get a cut of. So uh, with that, EJ, any final words? Back to the film cave. Like, it's right over there. I'm just going to go from here to there. <laughs> Yep, I'm going straight into production on a Jared Verse episode, like, right now. So, uh, we will see all of you next week to talk about something draft-related. And if you have suggestions, feel free to leave them in the comments below. But uh, until then, see y'all later. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.